So I'm going to do something a little outside my comfort zone that I've never done at worship before. I've done it in other places. But in the middle of the sermon today, I'm going to interview someone. I could this morning uh, tell you a story, explain to you how this gospel message is being lived out by describing another person's life. But instead, I decided today to, to bring someone up and let you hear their story. What we're going to hear today is a powerful story and a message I think will encourage us all of how we come alive in Christ together. That when we're together as a community, there's something powerful that happens, that, that God is at work in us, His presence lives in us in a way that, that God doesn't live in us when we're on our own, but when we come together, we're all moving toward life together. And I want to emphasize today that the importance of our community and what we, what we are able to offer as we come together to people in our community who feel dead, cut off, left behind, afraid, fearful, and all these kinds of things. So the idea for the series is called Together We Can. And the idea is that together we can do more than we can do by ourselves. That, that being a part of the church is something that we do together. The church isn't me, myself, and I. It's something that we do together. That together we can experience more of God's love. Together we can get a glimpse for what God wants us to do. Together we can have more of an impact on our city. If you look at this picture that I had put up on the, uh, on the screen here, is that Middletown Christian Church lives in a city. And that we are called to a mission in this city to share the good news of God's love for everyone, that all are welcome to God's grace. And that His power and love can set us all free from the things that, that trap us and stick us. And so that's why I think Paul's letter to the Ephesians is important because Ephesus was a big city. Ephesus was a major seaport in Asia Minor and it was filled with all different types of people, rich, poor, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, multiple ethnic groups, different religions, different races, different religions, different philosophies. It was a commercial, cultural, powerful center in that part of the world. And so as the church began to grow in that community, they were little small groups of people made up of all kinds of people, rich and poor and so on. And so Paul was writing this letter to remind them of who they were, reminding them that they had a powerful mission, that God had planted them in that community, not for themselves, but for their city, to love their city, to love, to love Ephesus, to bring the good news to the city of Ephesus, to that whole community. And you can imagine they probably, this small church, small groups of people, what can we do? And so Paul writes to them and he says, that you have no idea what you're able to accomplish. God has plans and dreams for you that are beyond your imagination. And that's a good thing to remember. Because sometimes we tend to think, focus on what we don't have or what we lack, our lack of power, or the resistance, or the obstacles. But Paul says to them that God is able to do immeasurably more than you could even ask or imagine. Now, I, I printed in your program, God, look at it, this scripture, which I think is at the heart of Ephesians. Paul writes to them, he says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can all ask or imagine. Now, notice what he says. 
Now to him by the power at work within who? Are you here? Us. Underline that word. Now to him who by the power at work that's within us. It's something that happens to us together. Is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we ask. It's not on you as an individual. It's on us as a community. And what he's saying here is that when we come together as God's people, when we gather together, we're able to accomplish far more than we could ever amass, ask, or even think about, or even imagine. So as we begin the series, I wanted to focus, first of all, on where we all begin this journey. And the focus is that how the church, the purpose of the church is to help people find life. One of the big themes in Paul's letters, all his letters from Galatians to Colossians and to Ephesians, is how when Jesus meets a person or when Jesus comes into a person's life, when people become a part of the church, they make this journey from death to life. You were dead, now you're alive. You had no power, now you have power. You lived in fear, now you live with love. Uh, you you were, lacked peace, now you have peace. You were angry, now you are filled with love. All of his letters have these themes, and his own life marked this transition and transformation. Because you remember Paul himself, Paul was filled with hate and animosity. And then Jesus meets him on the road one day and then says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And rather than condemning Paul, Rather than condemning him, he loved him and showed him a new life and opened his eyes to something that he didn't, he couldn't even imagine what his life would be. And then several years later, Paul is going all around the world promoting love, joy, goodness, peace, preaching the good news to people as a living example of himself of what it means to go from death to life. Now look at what he says here in chapter 2 of Ephesians. He says, you are dead. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. You were just following the way of the world, the ruler of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and senses. We were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Now he's talking about what their life was like before God came into their life. Let me put it in another way. Let me explain it to you in a way that may make it more relevant to you. He's talking about anything in your life that keeps you stuck in the past, that keeps you from embracing what God has for you. It could be a habit or anything. But what is it in your life that keeps you from seeing what God wants for you? What keeps you from moving into the future? What keeps you stuck in the past? It could be anything. I made up a list of of several things, but let me give you three. Could it be resentment? A lot of people are spiritually dead because of resentment. You know, I, I resent them because they have something I think I deserve. And why do I have to work so hard and I don't get what they have? And that resentment is closely linked to envy and jealousy. You know, why do I have to work so hard and I just feel like all I'm doing is coming up with nothing and they just make it look so easy. Why can't it be easy for me? Or resentment, resentment toward someone in our family who's hurt us or wounded us and we just are stuck in the poison of unforgiveness. You know, I bet we could all identify with that in some way. Resentment 
can build inside of you. And when you live with resentment, when it becomes a part of who you are, when you're addicted to resentment, you can't live the life God has in mind for you. Because you're continuing focusing on the hurt or the wound or what you don't have. You're focused on self and it becomes a poison inside of you. I bet that there's someone here today struggling with resentment. Could be guilt. Could be, couldn't it? You know, something that happened in our past. Maybe we hurt someone. Maybe we failed someone in some way. Or maybe we're living with something that we, we are ashamed of about ourselves. And we have a hard time. You know, we hear that God forgives us. You know, God forgives you, God loves you. But we have a hard time believing it because we don't love ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to forgive someone else than it is to forgive ourselves for our past or something that we've done. And so other people may have already moved on from what's happened, but we can't move on, right? We continue to think about all the things that we've done and how we've hurt and how we've disappointed. And we define ourselves. We define ourselves by our worst moment. You know what I mean? That's who I am. I have trouble seeing how God sees me. I can't see myself as a child of God. I see myself as a child of wrath because I'm stuck in something that happened in the past. Anybody struggle with guilt? Or what about fear? It's a big one. You know, we know that that God has something. God wants us to do something with our life, take some sort of risk, do something new, go to some new place, but we don't because we're afraid. What if I fail? What if I look foolish? You know, what if I can't do it? What if I lose everything? What if if people don't like me? There's so much, so much fear in our world everywhere. Our world seems to be fueled by fear. And when that world of fear collides with our personal anxiety and fear, it becomes a powerful force, and it just keeps us stuck in some old life. It could be anything, really. Uh, There are thousands of things that keep us stuck, keep us dead, keep us in the past. Thousands of things. What is it for you? You know, if you're like me, you've got one foot in the old life and you've got one foot in the new life and you're constantly being pulled back to the old thing. Like Paul, you say, I don't know why I do the things that I do. I want to do the right thing, but I can't, Paul says. Stuck. That's just dead. And when people walk in here, sometimes on Sunday mornings, I can look in people's eyes and I can see that maybe they moved, walked into the room, but they're the walking dead. This, when I read this, it just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It makes me excited because here in the midst of death, Paul brings the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, this is the gospel. He says here in verse 4, but God, what a great phrase, but God, who is rich in mercy, not rich in judgment, not rich in shame, not rich in guilt, not rich in condemnation, but rich in mercy. This God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead. In our, through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. That's the gospel. No one is beyond hope. No one is forever lost. 
No one is completely broken. That there is this God who, who loves you, loves me, loves us. There's nothing that can keep that love from us. If we just look up, reach out, God will reach and find us. God will bring us and drag us. That's what God's doing to us. God's at work in my life and your life, moving me from death, moving me to life, moving me from fear, moving me to faith, moving me from guilt to forgiveness. We're all on that journey somewhere. But this is the thing that I read that just stunned me. I've read this a thousand times, but, but maybe it's just because it's a different translation, but I've never seen this before. But notice what he says. He says, he made us alive what? He made us alive what? You see what he's saying? That how we find life, how life comes to us is not something that, I, that happens on my own. That it's something that happens together. It's about a community. It's about how I hold your hand, you hold my hand, we walk each other through, we meet each other where we are, we embrace each other where we are, we help each other to life. That what happens, here's how people get set free. People get set free in the context of community. So I want to illustrate. Mike, come on up. You get this together, we can come alive. We come alive together, that we move from darkness to light together. Say, I'm with you. You got it? Okay. Okay, you got it. Mike, this is Mike Jones. And I've asked Mike to tell a story. I had a really powerful thing happen on Tuesday that I, was, I got to be a part of. I got to witness. So Mike has been attending Middletown Christian Church for seven years. And Mike invited me to go to his AA home group at St. Matthew's on Tuesday night, St. Matthew's Baptist Church. Because Mike is celebrating seven years of sobriety. Isn't that great? Awesome. And so Mike and I have been talking for a long time about his life. And he wanted me to come and share in this celebration with him. And I was completely blown away by what happened. I've been to these meetings before, but I didn't expect what would happen this night that happened. I thought Mike had just invited me. I walk in the room, there's 150 people there because there were, there were 10 people celebrating their birthdays of their sobriety. And I walk in the room, and there's family members who were there with other people to celebrate it. But I walk in the whole, the whole back row, the whole back row across the back of the room were all members from Middletown Christian Church who were there to support Mike. Awesome. They belong, they belong to Mike's small group. So Mike's small group, our church, 12-step program have been walking with Mike for seven years to new life and I wanted Mike to come up and talk because I just noticed I've noticed something in the last six or eight months that, that something has happened to him over the last seven years and I want you Mike tell us where you were and where you are now well <clears throat> seven years ago I decided to make a change in my life a big change and that was to enter a 12-step course of recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd spent about 20 years prior to that in the throes of alcoholism, and I hit it really well. 
there were only a few people that really knew it around me, unlike many people. Probably more, but I just didn't realize it. Um, and I came into the program, I'd had a lot of counseling and therapy. I've been dealt with depression ever since I was in my 30s. Um, but I sensed something there that was far more beyond, far beyond just not drinking anymore. Drinking was just like a, that was still not even the tip of the iceberg. That was just a little tiny thing. Because fortunately for me, within the first six to eight months, that obsession to drink stopped. It has a little temptation every now and then, but nothing like it ever used to be. Um, so I made a choice to get help. And I, uh, so where I am today with all that, it's not just alcohol. I got into the program for emotional and spiritual sobriety. Uh, how I've found that sobriety is through my 12-step program, which is a community. It's not just all about me, although us alcoholics like to think it's all about me. Um, and so I have a community that I've discovered over the past seven years of a fellowship, in particular in my men's group, where we have 50 to 70 guys show up every Tuesday night at St. Matthew's Baptist, uh, and we can talk about anything. Probably you wouldn't want to hear all of it, uh, but it's a safe environment where we can talk. Um, my small group, a bunch of you are right here right now, a bunch of you came Tuesday night, has been instrumental in me feeling and knowing, not just feeling, but seeing demonstrated to me unconditional love. More often than not, they didn't know what to do to help me, but they helped me a whole lot more than you ever imagined by that unconditional love, by that persistence to keep help me stay persistent uh, just by knowing that they're there. Um, so um, AA community, my church community, and then other friends that I have, uh, uh, not nearly as close as what I found in those two communities. And it's been a we thing. Alcoholics Anonymous is a we program. It's not a me program. Uh, this journey of faith is a we program. It's not a me program. So I can say today that I honestly, unlike ever before, it's taken me 61 years to get here, but I'm happy, joyous, and free. Awesome. I, I, literally, I literally sat in that room and cried all throughout the whole meeting as one man got up and told their story after another, in particular, particular for Mike, because Mike and I have talked for a long time over the last seven years, meeting for coffee for lunch, and, and it was so often I didn't know what to do to help Mike and the members group, how can we help him, you know? And he would tell me, you know, it's just hard for me to get out of bed every day. It's hard for me to get up and keep on doing it. I, don't, I feel like there's a lack of hope. I, I don't have any hope for myself. And, and I don't know that we did anything for you other than just to hold your hand and to walk with you and to tell you that we love you and to listen and to be there for you. And it was really powerful to walk in that room and to see the different man standing in that room and the different man that's here today because... Mike's experiencing new life in ways that I don't know him. I started noticing on social network, he's dating attractive women. <laughs> he's going to concerts, and he would stay stuck in the house all the time. He would never leave his house. What's your life like now compared to what it was before? How's your life different? Well, um, music has always been a passion of mine. I started singing when I was a little child, 
and have done it all my life. Um, so I've even more so re-engaged with that. I've discovered for me, spirit, music is spiritual for me, all kinds of music, some of which you probably would not think so. Like today, I'm going to give a shameless plug here. We're doing the Miseries Optional 30th, 35th Annual Talent Show at Hotel Louisville at 2 o'clock today. So everybody show up. You'll, you'll support the recovery community with your, with your donations. And I'm even singing a Black Sabbath song. So if we have any Black Sabbath fans, somebody asked me to sing it, so I'm doing it. Um, so uh, going to concerts, going to hear live music, meeting new friends, uh, unshackled from the chains of all the preconceived notions I had about what this is wrong and this is not going to be spiritual for you and, this, and all that stuff that stuck with me since I was a kid. Um, uh, dating, um, that's new for me in the past, I've been divorced about five years. Are you available now? Well, I don't know. That may be changing. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, um, tell, us, tell us again, I want you to say it one more time, what is the role that Christian community has played in you coming alive? How do you understand that God's mercy is made real to us in community and how we come alive together? What, what does that mean to you? Well, I can't emphasize enough the demonstration without necessarily having the answers, without telling me you need to do this, you need to do that, here's what you need to do to straight, clean up your act, uh, demonstrating to me that no matter what, even if I don't have the answers for you, I love you. I love you unconditionally. I believe in you. God believes in you. That has been demonstrated to me over and over and over again in this church, unlike ever before. I've been a believer since I was a child, but never before, like here. Um, I can't sing any more than that, really. Uh, so let me tell you the other part of this story. So there was a man that came to the first service at 8.30 who had to go off to work. He met me in the foyer, and he said to me, he said, I want you to know what this man has meant to me. This man, Mike, has walked me from death to life. And if it wasn't for Mike Jones and his love for me, I would be dead. He told me, he said, I grew up in a home where my father never said I love you. My father was a stern, hard man, and I never knew love. And Mike calls me every day and says, I love you. And isn't that a part of bringing, you're a part of that too, right? Bringing life to others. Yeah, the... Uh... The 12 steps are a spiritual plan of action for recovery. And you can take out the word alcohol and apply it to anything in life. As a matter of fact, there's a new program that applies these 12 principles to anybody, whether it's anxiety, depression, personal, everything, really everything. And the 12th step is, is the, the linchpin in my view. It's the foundation, and that is you give back what you freely received. Mike, what do you want to say to anybody? There's people in the room today that feel stuck. It may not be alcohol. It may be something else, fear, guilt, shame, uh, anything. What, what do you want to say to someone who's sitting in the room today thinking, I, I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to do. I feel dead. I'm just dead. What would you say? The number one thing I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help. Rather than don't be afraid, just do it. Ask for help. 
and be prepared that help may not come in the way that you think it's going to come. Uh, for me, uh, and I still have some significant financial issues, I used to live under the fear and the pressure that how my finances had to be fixed in order for me to be happy and to be secure. And I mean, in the past, I've made a huge amount of money, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, God bless me with that, and I still didn't handle it very well. And I still worried about money. Uh, that's just one example in my life. But being willing to ask for help, seek it out. Seek it out and receive it whatever way God brings it to you in your life. I've had That's been a real wake-up call for me because I had all these ideas of what needed to happen in order for me to be fixed. And it's all come to me in different ways than I ever expected. So for Mike, coming to life, there's been a lot of hands on him, a lot of people holding him, a lot of people bringing him to life. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Okay? There's a biblical example, though. There's an example in the life of Jesus of how this is actually lived out. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick, Mary and Martha's brother. He goes to see Lazarus and Mary and Martha. When he gets to the home of Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha cry out and say, you're too late, Jesus. Our brother is four days dead. We've already buried him. He is four days dead. And then Jesus looks at the community of people and he says, you roll away the stone." Roll away the thing that's got that person, got him trapped in that dead place. Remove the obstacles so I can get to him. He moves the obstacles. And Jesus looks in the tomb and says, come out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the tomb, a new man, out of the darkness. And then Jesus looks at everybody standing in the crowd, the community of friends, and what does Jesus say, Mike, to the community? He says, unbind him. Say it one more time. Unbind him. What does that mean to you? That means people coming alongside to literally unwrap you from your death clothes. My death clothes was, al was alcohol. My death clothes was severe clinical depression and anxiety. So Jesus, Jesus is the life giver. But because he lives in me, he lives in you, he lives in us. That's what we do for one another. We unbind. We take off the, we help them take off the fear. We help them take off the shame. We help them take off the hate, the animosity, the, the guilt. That's what Kirsten, that's how we come to life together. We're all at some different place in our journey, but we're to unbind each other. The problem is that so often in religion, what happens is just the opposite. Religion binds people. Binds people in guilt, pushes them further down inside the tomb, pushes them in the darkness, says that person's beyond hope, that person's condemned, that person is unclean. And Jesus came to the earth because God is mercy and love and says as no one is meant to live in darkness forever. That Jesus came to break down the gates of hell and death, to remove stones and obstacles to bring people to life. And we are called as a church to join him in moving stones, calling out the dead, giving life, unbinding people from fear, guilt, and shame. 
That's what we are doing. That's the mission of our church. To come to life together. It's the gospel of Jesus. Now, a guy at the meeting said this. He said, I didn't get sober to live a mediocre life. I got sober to live a good life. And I liked what he said because God doesn't give us life to live a mediocre life. God gives us life to live an extraordinary life. And so what that means for us is to join God in what God is doing in the world. To not look at what we don't have or what we're lacking, but to ask God to reveal to us his plans and purpose for us to join him in the world in calling the dead to life an unbinding people. Mike, we love you. Thank you, man, for sharing your story today. I love you, buddy. Come on, thanks. Thank you. Awesome.